Hey, welcome to the Recruiting Trail. I'm your host, Andrew Nemec of the Oregonian and Oregon Live. The dead period, the more than year-long dead period, is over. Prospects are visiting campuses. College coaches are on the recruiting trail for real, looking at prospects in person for the first time in more than a year. It's such a relief to me personally because I'm interviewing kids not about what they hope to do if this pandemic is ever over, but actually what transpired when they went out and took visits. Uh, we're seeing in-person commitments for the first time again in a year. There obviously were commitments, but they weren't happening in person in front of the coaching staff. This has been a real slog the last year plus. Again, I can't even imagine what it's like for recruits. But for me personally, it's been hard because the reality of the situation is my job is to cover recruiting. And that generally entails high school games, visits, scheduling visits, various camps, various showcase events, seven-on-seven events. None of that was going on. And so I would do kind of my normal circle of phone calls where I had this group and I'd kind of loop back around to everybody. And if that's what it felt like I was doing. It just felt like for a year, I looped back around to 60, 70 kids in the class of 2021. It's like, hey, what's going on? It's like, well... Nothing really, can't take visits. I still like Oregon. I still like Oregon State, whatever the case may be. But nothing's really changing. So I'm going to make the best educated decision I can without really going on campus. Every once in a while, I talked to a kid who said, I went to campus on my own and walked through whatever buildings were unlocked. And I based my decision on that. And then, unfortunately, throughout this last year, the guys who got the most coverage, frankly, were some of the more dramatic recruits, guys who committed and decommitted, guys who talked about enrolling early and then decided not to enroll early, guys who made a lot of changes. And the guys who did it quietly or the the athletes who did it quietly and talked to their families and and made one commitment, they didn't get as much coverage. I didn't get to know those kids in some cases as well because, again, they weren't taking visits, so there weren't multiple follow-ups. They stayed at home. There wasn't a lot of news, so they weren't reaching out to the media to be like, hey, I'm going to announce a top five or six. Occasionally, the guys who sort of did it right, I guess you'd say, would announce maybe a top 10, maybe a top four or top three, and then they'd commit, and that was it. And there was nothing else to report on. They weren't taking visits even after they were commits. And in the past, not only would I follow those top 10s and top fives, but I could also write about their games. I could also write about the awards they won at various camps. I could write about their visit and how that went. I could do more in-depth stuff on who they were as people. And it felt like that got taken away, not just from me, but obviously from them having those experiences. And so the last year covering recruiting was really hard. And starting June 1st, Tuesday at midnight, that all changed. And it felt like this wave of relief. And I cannot believe sitting here this week how relieved I am to cover real recruiting news. I'm actually talking to kids who are saying, I went on this visit. I didn't just schedule a visit. I went on this visit. And here's how it went. And it's been such a relief to hear the excitement in kids' voices. I can just feel a difference. I feel re-energized. Again, I can't even imagine how these high school athletes feel. I feel totally refreshed on this beat. I'm trying to crank out stories. I'm making more phone calls and texting and DMing kids and coaches constantly. And it just feels like I'm I'm starting fresh. And again, it's just, I can't even describe to you how different this week feels from the last, definitely the last six months of this beat. Because the first, again, six months, I was still doing stuff on COVID-related stuff, how we're adjusting to the new normal. And then, you know, six months in, just like everybody at home, once you get used to the new normal, recruiting was just a slog, just like staying at home was a slog. It was really hard to to come up with interesting material to write about other than this kid still has this same top three and hopes to take visits. And here we are, and we're just a couple days in, and there's already been a huge huge amount of news. And we've got to get to it uh, and really go in detail. This might end up being a lengthy podcast because we are only a couple days in. But again, there's been a tremendous amount of news. One thing I would say for people who don't know what the end of the dead period, what is the dead period? Where are we at right now? When the dead period was lifted, what does that mean? First of all, kids can now take official visits. And, and it used to be that kids mostly took official visits in the fall or 
in January, right before the late signing period. That's no longer the case. You can take official visits in June. So you've got a lot of kids starting to take their official visits, planning their official visits. We've already seen the Oregon women's basketball program host an official visit and get a commitment. So official visits are happening. Unofficial visits are happening. Official visits are paid for by the school. They pay for the flight. They pay for the hotel. They pay for the food. Unofficial visits are paid for by the kid themselves or the kid's family. They pay for the hotel. They pay for travel. A lot of times they're younger kids because you can only take official visits when you're a junior heading into your senior season um, or you're a senior. So for a lot of these kids who are taking unofficial visits, they're paying their own way hundreds of dollars because they're genuinely really interested. So if you see a highly rated 2023 kid visiting Oregon or Oregon State, it means they're very interested because their family forked over the money to take that trip. Sometimes guys will almost be committed to a school. We've already seen this a handful of times just already in the first couple days of June. You've got kids who have scheduled official visits to multiple schools. They've scheduled all five of their official visits. They went on their first one the first day of June that things were open and committed. Well, they still have four other official visits that I imagine some of these schools are going to be canceling. But some of these kids take official visits because they're free, because they're paid for. Why not? I might as well go. Unofficial visits, a very different animal. Official visits, prospects only get five of them. So they're very valuable. You want to get one of those five official visits if the kid is genuinely undecided and interested. Unofficial visits, kids can take as many as they want. Highly rated kids, listen, parents save up all that money for school. When you're the number three quarterback in the nation, you know that money's not going towards college. College is going to be paid for. So a lot of times family will use that money to visit 15, 20, 25 schools early in the process and get a chance to kind of see what everybody has to offer, whittle things down, and then take their five. So unofficial visits are happening. Official visits are happening. College coaches are now allowed to go and watch kids in person at camps. We didn't have camps for about a year. Now kids can attend camps and showcase events. Those showcase events are now, it used to be kind of deregulated and we call them satellite camps. A lot of those camps, most of those camps, almost all of those camps outside of combines, which is the 40 and the shuttle, those showcase seven on seven type camps have to happen on college campuses and not only college campuses, they have to happen on lower level college campuses. So I believe there's one in Oregon that's being hosted by Lewis and Clark. Or, or Linfield, I, I, it's either Lewis and Clark or Linfield. There's a big camp here that a bunch of high-level schools are going to. And the reason that is, is when big-time programs host them, if Alabama, Oregon, Clemson all host those kids, those kids all want to go to a higher, they all want to go to a high-level school. They're all there because they want a scholarship from those schools. So what this did is by making it so that a lower-level school hosts kids and it gives those kids who are lower level talents who are there, who maybe got bad advice, who maybe would slip through the cracks otherwise, because they only want to go visit Oregon, Clemson, Alabama, USC, Michigan, Ohio state. Those kids are getting seen by a lower level school and still have a potential landing spot. So it's kind of a false safe or fail safe in there for kids who maybe misevaluate to still find a landing spot. It was actually a good sign of foresight from the NCAA in saying, how can we tweak this just a little bit to make this better for the kids and potentially for college programs across the spectrum, not just high-level D1 programs. And then the other thing that's allowed, and this is a new thing from the NCAA, I don't know if they're going to keep this in or not, but because there hasn't been in-person evaluation, if an athlete takes an unofficial visit to a college campus he can have a one on he or she can have a one-on-one workout with one coach on the coaching staff for an hour. We've already seen this with Oregon State. They had Coach Mahalchek work out Jacob Strand, a class of 2022 Camby offensive lineman. After that workout, he got an offer from Oregon State. So we're already seeing this put to use. And the reason the reason the NCA put this in place was because they felt like coaches didn't have a fair opportunity with 2022 kids to see them in person. They're just behind the eight ball in in-person evaluation. So camps are allowed. Coaches will catch up this month and this summer with camps. And you will also see a lot of programs trying to catch up with their 2023 board and with 2022 kids who aren't taking, taking official visits and putting them through the motions of a one hour workout and getting an idea of where those guys fit on their big board, their priority list. The other piece about those one-on-one workouts, you cannot have a one-on-one workout during an official visit. 
It's only for unofficial visits. That's the only time those are allowed. So if you see a 2023 kid visiting a campus, there's a good chance that program, if they want a better look at them, that they don't run, that they have a one-on-one evaluation. So a lot is now allowed. A lot's going on. And again, because those private one-on-one workouts are happening, because everyone's trying to get to as many camps as possible, and because coaches are scrambling to host official and unofficial visitors for the first time in a year, this is, uh, as, as Bruce Feldman wrote, is maybe the busiest month in the history of college football recruiting. It's just absolutely nuts for college football, but it's nuts across the board. And we've seen that already this week, getting into some of that news. I've talked about it. I've teased it for a couple of weeks now that this Oregon roster is coming, men's basketball roster is shaping into form. They're going to be very good. Be patient. It's a thin roster, but they're slowly adding pieces. That started with Devian Harmon. The honorable mention, all Big 12 selection out of Oklahoma. He commits to Oregon, two-year starter. He's a sophomore last season, 13 points a game, I think four rebounds, four assists, a talented, versatile guard. He joins the fold. Rivaldo Soares, the first-team All-American junior college player out of South Plains College in Texas. He commits to Oregon. He enters the mix as a rotation piece, probably not an expected starter because that jump from J.C., to Pac-12 football or Pac-12 basketball, excuse me, is is steep. That's a steep learning curve. So I think he's in the rotation. They uh, last week added Quincy Garrier from Syracuse, uh, averaged something like 13 and a half points, seven rebounds a game, and an all ACC third team selection. Suddenly you've got your forward to replace Eugene Amarui. And then this week, they picked up the commitment that I've been talking about and hinting about and, and directly saying, I, I predicted it, that Oregon would get Rutgers guard Jacob Young, the younger brother of Joseph Young. He was the 2013 Pac-12 player of the year at Oregon after transferring from Houston. Jacob Young had a circuitous route to Eugene. Played his first two years at Texas, averaged like five points a game, not a major factor. Goes to Rutgers, plays a couple years at Rutgers, last year really broke through. 13.4 points per game, uh, four assists per game or four rebounds per game, and almost two steals a game. Really talented, talented guard. The piece they needed. He's going to play 20, 25 minutes a game. He's going to be able to fill it up whether he starts or comes off the bench. They, they should have Will Richardson. They do, we found out uh, this week, have Eric Williams Jr. coming back. I've always presumed that in these podcasts, but it was not official. His name was technically entered into the NBA draft, but he has pulled his name back out. He's withdrawn from the NBA draft. He will be returning. I expect the same thing of Will Richardson. And suddenly this roster loaded. And you look at the off-season additions for this Oregon team. We've talked about it. Will Richardson's coming back. Eric Williams Jr. is coming back. Frank Kepnang uh, is coming back after early enrollee, being an early enrollee last year. Should have been a senior in high school. Instead played and played a little bit in the NCAA tournament for Oregon. He comes back, and I believe because of the NCAA rules, allowing an extra year of eligibility, he can come back as either a sophomore or a freshman, depending on how Oregon wants to utilize that. But he still has four years of eligibility remaining. In Fale, Dante should be back from an ACL. They've already signed in November five-star center Nathan Biddle, the number nine prospect in the nation. He's entering the mix. And then this offseason, a handful of all conference performers from the Big 12, from the ACC, a JC All-American, and then of course now Jacob Young. And you're already seeing it. We've seen ESPN talk about it. We've seen some of the college basketball top people at CBS talk about it in articles. Oregon is now a preseason top 10 to 15 team across the board. The goal for this team is going to be a Pac-12 championship. The goal for this team is going to be an Elite Eight. That's the goal. Sweet 16 would be nice, but that's expected. When you're a preseason top 10, top 15 team in the nation, the goal is beyond Sweet 16. What they're saying when you're a top 15 team in the nation is you should make the Sweet 16. This Oregon team is very, very talented. It's a very good group. It'll be interesting to watch how they gel. Uh, Safe prediction, they're going to be pretty good up until about mm, late January, early February. Altman will find the rhythm with this group, and they'll jump up and suddenly be one of the best teams in the country by mid-February, you know, like they do every single year. So a nice get for Oregon, Jacob Young. Again, I've hinted about that and talked about that for a few weeks now that I thought that was going to happen. It's official, big-time get for Oregon, and suddenly, again, this roster looks absolutely phenomenal. Oregon hosted a visitor this week, Jackson Shellstead. 
the West Lynn class of 2023 basketball recruit. For people who don't know, his mentor the last several years has been Peyton Pritchard. He's a West Lynn kid. He played as a freshman. He's playing this year as a sophomore. Through four games, he's averaging 31 points per game. The goal for West Lynn, win a state title. Sound familiar? Very similar route to Peyton Pritchard, a six foot, six foot one guard, already has offers from Arizona State, Stanford, and Texas Tech. He's talked about wanting to follow in Peyton Pritchard's footsteps. That doesn't mean it's a slam dunk that he'd go to Oregon, but this offer from Oregon is huge. And if I had to guess where he ends up, I would say it's very likely that Jackson Shellstead ends up choosing Oregon. I have not heard that from him at all. He is still very much open in this process. But again, having known about the connections he's had with Peyton Pritchard forever, and when he first got his offer, he called Peyton Pritchard. You know, Peyton Pritchard's with the Boston Celtics, but he still got to dial him up and him and Peyton had a conversation. So Jackson Shellstead very, very, very much wanted to follow in, in the footsteps of Peyton Pritchard. This offer could allow him to do that. And I think eventually that's where he goes. But again, he's only a sophomore. A whole lot can change. He is going to be playing his summer ball with the Oakland Soldiers, one of the best AAU programs in the nation that is not disputable. The Peach Jam Invitational, the Nike EYBL Peach Jam Tournament is the number one tournament in the nation. Uh, maybe other than Geico Nationals. Uh, it's the number one tournament in the nation. The Oakland Soldiers won it in 2012, and they won it in 2017. They won it twice. Not a fluke. Great program. The Oakland Soldiers, big deal. Mookie Cook, who plays for Jefferson right now, he is going to AZ Compass Prep in Arizona. After this season, he will be finishing his career in Arizona. He also is playing for the Oakland Soldiers. That's great news if you're if you're an Oregon Duck fan. Because Shellstead, you feel pretty good about. You got a good chance of getting him. Shellstead grew up going, you know, following every single Peyton Pritchard basketball game for Oregon. So he's he's been an Oregon fan. The fact that he gets to be in Mookie Cook's ear potentially is a connection you'd like to see. So that's a good sign. Mookie Cook, for people who don't know, arguably one of the top 10 to 15. I think he's ranked as high as seven. The number seven recruit in the nation for the class of 2023, Mookie Cook. Very special. Good to see those guys getting an opportunity at the highest level. The Oakland Soldiers, big, big, big time. Great to see. Uh, So Shellstead took a visit, got an offer. On the women's side of things, for the Oregon women's program, they've been champing at the bit. Now, remember, the COVID shutdown, even though there was a season, the COVID shutdown actually ended a very likely, in South Carolina, hush, hush, very likely Oregon was going to end Sabrina's career at Oregon with a national championship. Ruthie Hebert, Satu Sabali, Sabrina Unescu, that team was winning a championship. You can't convince me otherwise. That was a national championship team. Look at how good they've been at the professional level. I just, I don't even think it's debatable. At the very, very least, they make the national title game against South Carolina and we see what happens. But that Oregon team was destined for greatness. Oregon hasn't been allowed to host an athlete on campus since Sabrina was on campus. Since Ruthie was on campus, since Satu was on campus. So they haven't really been able to fully kind of generate the buzz of that group by hosting visitors. The last time they were able to host visitors, they signed five McDonald's All-Americans who also happened to be five Jordan Brand Classic selections. Those five athletes were all able to visit in 2020, the class of 2021, weren't able to host as many visitors, taking a smaller class anyway. They land Taylor Bigby, really talented guard, one of the top 25, 30 uh, guard forwards in the country, but not that elite number one or number two class in the nation. So this Oregon women's program has been champing at the bit to get athletes on campus. Let's make a run at another number one recruiting class. So what have they done with it? Well, in day one, they hosted Jenna Asai, the number 35 recruit in the nation, the number eight guard wing, shooting guard, small forward. She's five foot 11. And her visit went swimmingly. Uh, she committed to Oregon before she even left. In fact, uh, she was apparently, according to Jenna, uh, supposed to maybe wait on announcing her commitment until an edit could be done for her. And instead, she just had the raw photo of herself in an Oregon uniform from a photo shoot. And she just tweeted it out with hashtag committed. <laughs> I think she said, you know, excited to be a duck or something, hashtag committed. But she just locked it in. And you look at this player and, and, and Jenna Asai has been hurt. She missed her freshman year 
after tearing her ACL. She tore her meniscus in two places during her junior season. But this is an athlete that plays for the Cal Stars under Kelly Sopek, uh, Sopak. That's the same coach. That's the same AAU program that Sabrina came from. And Kelly Sopak is, is about as connected as any coach on the West Coast. When Sabrina Unesco was coming out of high school, one of the ways Washington wanted to get her, people forget this, it was down to Oregon and Washington. And a lot of people thought it was going to be Washington because Washington offered Kelly Sopak a job on staff. And he turned it down and said, this has nothing to do with Sabrina, but it, it could look that way. And I want her to be able to make whatever choice she wants without me having any influence on her decision, which I thought was really noble. Still a hugely influential coach. The point is, uh, Kelly Sopek has given her the green light as one of the best players in the country. This is a player who's missed time. She hasn't been able to go on all the national circuits. She hasn't been able to go to a bunch of camps. And there is a strong belief, there's a strong belief uh, in in the women's basketball, girls' basketball community that whether it's high school or college, that she is going to end up being a top 20 player in the country. And she very easily could end up being a top 10 or 15 player in the country. So this is a monster, monster get. The other value here and the hidden value here that people maybe don't know is that she is close teammates with Bria Cunningham. Bria Cunningham is the number four prospect in the nation in the class of 2023. And one of the things I asked Jenna is, who are you trying to bring with you to Oregon? And the first name she came up with was, I'm really close with Bria Cunningham. Again, the number four player in the nation for next year's class. So that's something to watch. Oregon also currently on campus, uh, depending on when you're listening to this, Thursday, Friday, potentially into Saturday, uh, Chance Gray, the number seven prospect in the nation, the number two point guard in the nation. She's visiting Oregon. Grace Van Sluten, the number 13 player in the nation, the number four uh, forward in the nation, is visiting right after Chance Gray. And then Kennedy Basham, the number 44 player in the nation, the number six post, she's six foot seven. She's visiting after Grace Van Sluten. So Oregon is hosting four of the top 44 prospects in the nation. They've already got a commitment from number 35, who I've told you is very likely to end up top 20. Again, she hasn't really played, so she's fallen, but she was a top 20 player when healthy. She says she's healthy. Uh, Kelly Sopak says she's healthy. She's healthy. She's falling out. She's playing great. And then again, uh, Chance Gray and Grace Van Sluten, two of the top 15 players in the country, also visiting this week, a special group. Another hidden piece to pay attention to here, Jenna Asai commits to Oregon. One of the first people to congratulate her on social media is Sammy Wagner, another 2023 prospect. Sammy Wagner is the number 11 player in the country, the number two wing. She and her family are paying their own way to visit Oregon in the next two weeks. So could I see a scenario where Jenna Asai's commitment leads to kind of the snowball effect into 2023? Yes, I think that's likely. Oregon's got a great chance now with Bria Cunningham. They've got the they've got the connection to the Cal uh, the Cal Stars again through Jenna Asai, and then again Sammy Wagner and Jenna are close, and and Sammy's paying her own way to Oregon. Women's basketball players commit early. It happens all the time. It wouldn't shock me if Sammy Wagner committed soon. That being said, uh, she's got a ton of big time schools involved in her recruitment. Was committed to Baylor. And when Coach uh, Mulkey left Baylor for LSU, she decommitted. She's grown up a Baylor fan. Her dad went to Baylor. It'll be tough, but it is interesting that her family is is paying their way and that Sammy was all over social media making sure that Jenna knew she was fired up, that she was going to be a duck. So interesting thing to watch. One other prospect visiting the Oregon women's basketball program before we jump into Oregon football. Uh, USC transfer India Rogers, 14 points, four boards, four assists a game, an all-conference caliber guard is supposed to visit Oregon. She's down to a final two of Arizona and Oregon, and it's going to be a little bit tough. I think Oregon's got a, got a very good shot, but one of the elements to watch here is that this offseason, Arizona hired an assistant coach at USC that was India Rogers' primary recruiter. We just saw this with Devian Harmon with the Oregon basketball program. They hire assistant coach Coach Crutchfeld, who recruited Devian Harmon to Oklahoma before actually Coach Crutchfeld moved on, ended up at Oregon, and now Devian Harmon ends up at Oregon. They kind of had a circuitous route to reconnect. 
And we're seeing maybe potentially a similar situation with India Rogers, this time hurting Oregon, where an assistant coach goes from USC to Arizona. India Rogers could follow suit and follow her primary recruiter. But we'll have to watch. Kelly Graves and his staff do a phenomenal job. That's kind of it for basketball on Oregon's side. I'm going to get to plenty more about Oregon State a little later in the show. Oregon State's women's basketball program is competing for the number one recruiting class in the country in 2022. An unbelievable recruiting class being put together by Scott Rook. We'll get to all that. They got another commitment here in this past week, and I want to get to that. Oregon football, it's the first weekend to host visitors. This isn't a massive, massive weekend yet for Oregon. I think it's a very, very good weekend, but we've seen some monster weekends from Oregon. This isn't that. This isn't going to be the weekend in June. I think this is a great weekend, and there's certainly a lot of names to get to and get excited about. But when we talk about big weeks, this isn't the big week. And really what we could see, Oregon's hosting that Saturday Night Live camp where they unofficial host, unofficial visit host all their top 40, 50, 60 prospects and host a summer camp. That's going to be July 31st that week. And I think that could very easily end up being the biggest week of the summer. That might end up being a an article that's 60 names long of guys who are going to be on campus. I would bet they get five, six commitments in that camp. So look for that. That's going to be July 31st. That's what I've learned trying to put together who's all visiting is July 31st, a big, big, big one for a lot of kids. Multiple five stars coming in, multiple four stars coming in. We'll get to that a little later in June. I'll start to lay out exactly who's visiting. Two commits are coming and and you always want to kind of mix. I'm, I'm a firm believer. You always want to mix in some commits and some potential targets because those commits, you know they're going to be peer recruiters for you. Oregon bringing in a pair of Texas commitments. And I've talked about this. Texas is a a frontline state for Oregon. They're making a push in Texas. They're making a push in Nevada. And we're seeing that big time this weekend. That's one of the themes of this weekend. Landon Hullaby, the four-star safety, and Steven Johnson, the three-star wide receiver. Again, already committed to Oregon, both from Texas. They are visiting this weekend. And part of it is they haven't seen Oregon, so they want to shore up their commitments as soon as possible. The other piece is you want committed players to influence the uncommitted players. The big name on this list, the splashy name on this list, I think maybe one of the most intriguing players in the entire country visiting this weekend, Cyrus Moss, the four-star defensive end down in Nevada. I've talked about this before. He's a top 30 prospect in the nation. Every year, 24-7 sports before signing day drops their five-star list or lowers the criteria of their five-star list to 32. That's the number of first-round NFL draft picks. It's a simple rule. That way they don't change it. They don't have fluidity. They don't add a bunch of names to it. It's 32 every year. They're not going to have a year where there's 49 and another year where there's 10. 32 every year. Right now, Cyrus Moss, if today were signing day, would be a five-star prospect. The number four defensive end in the country, six foot five, 220 pounds, and on seven on seven, he can play outside and guard a slot or guard an outside receiver. That's how athletic he is. That's how freaky he is. Cyrus Moss is one of the freakiest athletes I have ever seen in my life. No debate. That kid in high school could play corner. And he's going to be an edge rusher. It's unbelievable what that kid's ceiling is. I don't even know. The flexibility, the athleticism, the size. He's going to end up being 6'5", 240 with bend and athleticism and speed and hips. And it's just going to be remarkable. I, I don't know that I've been this excited. Listen, Kayvon... Thibodeau was incredible. He was the number one recruit. We all knew Kayvon Thibodeau was going to be amazing, right? That was the assumption. You're the number one recruit for a reason. I don't know if I've seen a kid outside the top 20 that I've watched before that I'm like, man, that kid could be a top five NFL draft pick. Boom. That kid might be that guy. The last guy I felt that way about, honestly, was Saturday Night Live. I went to the Saturday Night Live camp a few years ago. Willie Taggart's year that he hosted a Saturday Night Live camp and Jalen Waddle was there. And at the time, he was outside the top 100 prospects in the nation. And I went, that kid could be a top 10 or 15 pick. I don't, I don't care. I don't care about his size. I don't care. That is just freaky. And sure enough, you know, fast forward to this year and he ends up being a first round pick, I believe of the, of the Miami Dolphins. I think he's rejoining uh, Tua. That might be wrong, but I'm, I'm fairly certain that's correct. So, I don't do that often. I don't see a guy outside the top 20 and go, bam, that is a top five or 10 draft pick. Cyrus Moss is a freak. I do actually think 
if I had to, had to, had to choose right now where Cyrus Moss is going, if I had to make a prediction, I'd pick Oregon. I think Cyrus Moss in the end will be the headliner of this class unless Oregon gets somebody even better, which is possible. But I think Cyrus Moss in the end chooses Oregon and he is absolutely flat out special. I'm talking all conference multiple times. I cannot say enough about this kid, but I've, I've got to stop because we've got to get to the other players. Robbie Snelling, four-star linebacker out of Nevada, also visiting Oregon this weekend, taking an official visit to Oregon. He's the number 30 outside linebacker in the country. Really like him. You're starting to see his trend. Cyrus Moss, four-star, borderline five-star defensive end out of Nevada. Robbie Snelling out of Nevada. Three-star Sir Mels, a defensive tackle, six foot four, 310 pounds out of Nevada, visiting this weekend for Oregon. That's three Nevada visitors, two Texas visitors in terms of the committed guys. Also, four-star offensive lineman Cameron Williams out of Texas visiting Oregon this weekend. I already wrote a story about him previewing his visit. I had a chance to talk to him about what he's anticipating from this visit. He really likes Oregon's culture, building offensive linemen. That's going to be a selling point going forward. We're seeing that with a lot of talented kids. When I talk to top offensive linemen about why Oregon, some of them say Cameron Williams was this way. I don't follow Oregon. I don't know much about him. I don't know anybody that goes there. I don't, I don't have any family member that goes there. I don't have a family member that's a fan of there. I don't have a friend that's a fan of there. I'm interested because Mario Cristobal recruits offensive linemen and they end up in the NFL. That's a selling point. And it's a huge selling point. And right now, Oregon is starting to see major benefits of that. They did last year. Now it's national. Last year, it was West Region. We talked about that. The top two offensive tackles in the West Region, the number two guard in the West Region, and the number one center in the nation who was from the West Region all committed to Oregon last year. This year, that scope is national, and it's the same level of interest. It's just with all the top guys in the nation. Four-star offensive lineman Dane Shore out of Florida, IMG Academy. Oregon would love to get involved in IMG Academy, one of the top three or four high schools, prep schools in the nation for football. He's visiting Oregon. He's a four-star, and I think even on some sites, he's a three-star. And I just want to kind of pump the brakes on that a little bit and say, Sometimes it makes sense, especially early when, when 24-7 may not have seen a guy in person. It's really important to look at the offers. Dane Shore has everybody. I mean, Dane Shore's got like Alabama, Auburn, Georgia, LSU, and I, I don't have the list in front of me. That might not even be all the, you know, all the right names, but the of the top 25 programs every year in the nation, the Michigans, the Ohio States, the he has almost all of them. This kid is going to end up a highly rated kid. He's already a highly recruited kid. Right now, the star rating doesn't match the player. Big time, big time, big time talent. He's taking an official visit to Oregon this weekend. Be interesting to see what he brings to the table if he potentially commits. Two other four-star prospects visiting. Four-star linebacker Jalen Sneed out of South Carolina and four-star corner Terrence Brooks, the number 10 corner in the nation. One other visitor, although that wraps up the official visitors. An unofficial visitor is 2023 interior lineman TJ Shanahan. He might be a center. He might be a guard paying his own way from Florida, but he is the number three interior offensive lineman in the country. The number three interior offensive lineman in the country coming from Florida and his family is paying his own way to that visit. You're not spending that much money unless you're interested. So TJ Shanahan, another player to watch. I've already connected with him. He is eager to do a story with the Oregonian and Oregon Live about how his visit went. Sent me his number. He's ready to roll. The only thing is we got to wait till the visit actually happens to talk to him. So a good list for the Oregon Ducks. Again, Oregon Ducks women hosting visits. The Oregon Ducks men have put together their roster and the Oregon football program starting to put together a busy, busy June. That'll pretty much wrap it up for the Oregon Ducks. When we come back from break, I will break down some visitors for Oregon State. We'll talk about what went on in their first couple days and also the Oregon State women's basketball program might, might have the number one recruiting class in the country. That's next. We talked plenty of ducks for the first half hour. It is time to transition to the Oregon State Beavers. And man, I sure like what I'm seeing from Oregon State across the board right now in recruiting. And I don't know how often I've been able to say that in my years of beat writing with with Oregon Live and the Oregonian five, six years now. 
Across the board, it's impressive. Oregon State signed a first-team JC All-American in basketball who probably has a better claim to being the player of the year than Rivaldo Soares, who's going to Oregon. Uh, they The football program has a number of quality commitments. They've got a number of interesting players coming on campus, and they took advantage really early in the month of June with that new wrinkle that the NCAA has for private workouts. But I want to start with the women's basketball program. When it comes to Oregon State, when we're talking about recruiting right now, you might as well just crown them. The Oregon State women's basketball program carrying the torch for Corvallis in terms of big-time recruiting. Oregon State and Scott Ruick, doesn't matter that he's having some staff turnover. doesn't matter what's going on in Corvallis right now. I know they had, you know, they've had a transfer out of the program and Sasha Goforth, who's a really talented player. This program is just going to absolutely retool, reload no matter what. And it's really fun to see. This group already in the class of 2022 has four commitments. And again, it might be the best class in America. UConn has two top eight commitments in the country. Oregon State has two top 11 commitments nationally, but they also have two other highly rated kids. And that that might be where you would bump them over UConn. But right now, if you're talking about best recruiting classes in the nation, it's either UConn or Oregon State. No one else is even close. No one else has a top two top 15, two top 20 commitments. Oregon State and UConn right now, that's it. That's where it starts and ends in terms of discussion of the number one recruiting class in the nation. They've got the number four recruit in the nation, Tamia Gardner. Number four player in the nation. And the number 11 player in the nation, Reagan Bears. Beers. I always feel weird saying beers, but it is, it is beers. I mean, I'm, <laughs> we're not talking alcohol here. I don't have alcohol in the brain. It's, it's Regan Beers. So two of the top 11 players in the country, Tamia Gardner, a guard wing, and Reagan Beers, uh, a post player. Unbelievable start. They also got Adley Blacklock out of Texas. She had an offer from Baylor. She had offers from some of the top programs in the nation. She's not currently rated among the top handful of prospects in the country, but I strongly feel if you did a top 150, which is still four-star prospects, she'd be on it. And then this week they added Lily Hansford. And Lily Hansford, again, not rated nationally as a big-time prospect, but she is. Left-handed sharpshooter, one of the best shooters in the country. And you look at what they needed and what you could potentially add to this group. You've got a guard. You've got a post, and you want to keep everybody honest while Tamia Gardner attacks the basket or Reagan Beers Beers works in the post. You don't want anybody to double, and if they do, you want to make them pay for it on the outside. Enter Lily Hansford, a left-handed sharpshooter, really talented player, and this Oregon State class, man, it's just motoring along, And, and Scott Ruick deserves a tremendous amount of credit. The one thing I've heard from a number of college coaches is once you get into five, six, seven elite freshmen in a single year, you do have to start worrying about playing time. And you take a look at Oregon this year, and I hate to do that, to be honest with you, because this is very much an Oregon State segment, but they had this problem. They signed five McDonald's All-Americans, five Jordan Brand Classic players last year. And you could tell Oregon had a hard time getting them playing time. And sure enough, Angela Dugalich, who might end up being the best or the second best one of that group, transferred to UCLA. It's tricky when you're a top 20 program to get five, six, seven recruits in a single class and keep them all together. So we'll see if Oregon State adds to this group as is. It's really talented and you don't really have to worry about a log jam. Four recruits, they all play different positions. They're all really talented and the headliners are two of the top 11 players in the nation. I don't think Oregon State gets enough credit for what they do in women's basketball. I also don't think Oregon State gets enough credit for their facilities. And that's one of the things I talked about in eh, about a month ago when it came to Oregon State, that the visits they were hosting right before the shutdown were so much better than what recruits anticipated. Because what you think about Oregon State is not necessarily that they have some of the best facilities in the nation. 24-7 Sports has said they do. They were in the top 25 last year of the nation's best facilities. This year, honorable mention. But that still puts them top 30. Top 30 facilities in the nation. That puts them in in the upper tier for certain in all of college sports. And I don't think they get the credit for that. I don't think kids go to Oregon State thinking, I'm going to be blown away by by the facilities. They might think great college town. They might like the engineering program. They might like the tradition. But they don't necessarily think, I'm going to be blown away by the facilities. And they are. 
DeMarcus Houston talked about it on recruiting with Andrew Nimick on Tenet of the Fan last week. And you're hearing it again from the first round of initial visitors. The other thing Oregon State doing a nice job of with these early unofficial visits, they're, they're taking advantage of the one-on-one workouts. Six foot five, 270 pound offensive lineman Jacob Strand out of Canby took an unofficial visit this week, the first day he was allowed to, Tuesday, to Oregon State, worked out with Jim Mahalchek and checked all the boxes. And so while he's touring the rest of the program, Oregon State's gearing up. The end of his tour is a meeting with Coach Smith and they offer him a scholarship. And here's what I'll say about when it comes to Oregon State's recruiting, you can talk about how highly rated a kid is, where I back away, where I kind of go, you know what? I don't even begin to criticize star rating or value or whatever. When you have a highly respected coach like Coach Mahalchek, who's a great evaluator. Now, he hasn't done a great job in terms of star rating, but when he's had a guy in his program, he's developed him. And done a nice job. The Oregon offense, Oregon State offensive line far, far surpassed on the field last year what was expected of them in terms of entering into the program in terms of star rating. They've outperformed that expectation. So when he gets to work with the guy that's coming in under the radar that I'm hearing and I've been hearing buzz about locally already, like, hey, Jacob Strand, it's a real one. He's going to be really good. Jacob Strand's a Pac-12 player for sure. And then who cares what his star rating is? Oregon State gets to work him out for an hour, and by the end of that workout, they're like, yep, we're offering that kid. He's an offensive tackle. We love him. That tells me all I need to know. I don't care about star rating at that point. And at that point, if you miss three or four years down the road on Jacob Strand, that's a direct criticism, right, of the program. I don't get to say, nobody should say anything now. I don't care if a guy's a five-star or four-star or three-star. I've seen five-stars work out at Saturday Night Live Camp at Oregon. I've seen, I've seen elite kids work out at showcase events that coaches are at. Elite kids. And if you got them on paper, fans would be like, man, we got the number five offensive lineman, outside linebacker, whatever, in the country. And you go, yeah, right. No way. No way. Looks good on paper. At a camp, not so much. So if Oregon State gets a look at this kid one-on-one and goes, he's way better than people think. And he totally fits what we're doing. We're offering him today before he leaves the campus. Then I buy in. Good. And if they get him, it's a great commitment. I think they eventually do get Jacob Strand. I think he has a family member that goes to Oregon State. His dad got to put on the uniform when he put on his uniform for the photo shoot, uh, which his dad really enjoyed, and and he really enjoyed kind of getting to goof around and do that. So I think they end up getting Jacob Strand, and I've said this before. I'll say it again. It'll be a regular theme that I have when I talk about Oregon State. When they offer first, they often get the guy. When they offer an in-state talent first, they usually get him. And for the most part, that has paid dividends. Trevon Bradford, Sam Vidlak, David Morris, I know he medically retired, but he had a 20-tackle game as a freshman. Uh, They have offered first a handful of times, and when they've done it, they almost always get the kid. And it almost always works out. So great job by them to host him on campus and take advantage of the new rule. That's one of the things I talked about before in the Gary Anderson era, and I I hate to keep beating that dead horse, but it is a compare and contrast, is they didn't always take advantage. They weren't always on the cutting edge. They they were kind of lagging behind. This was a loophole that teams that took advantage of had a chance for in-person evaluation that could potentially help them redefine their board. Oregon State prioritizes a guy for day one, Jacob Strand, day one, offensive line coach, one-on-one. We have to see him. That means they did their homework watching film. They evaluated a guy they could get on campus day one and said, there's a good chance after this workout, we know we like this kid. That's good process. It's really, really quality process. And they deserve to be commended for that. It is tricky to do that. Another sign that things are better when we talk about progress. Caten Hauser was a guy Oregon State loved and they lost out to Boise State. You go, that, that sucks. That's a battle you want to win. Now, he had a long-term relationship, a a long-term family connection to a recent hire. And that's part of the reason Boise State offered. And then like two, three weeks later, he committed is they hired away a local coach who was very, very close to Caten Hauser. So it was going to be really tough once he went, that coach went to Boise State for Oregon State to beat out that multi-year relationship. But you look at Caten Hauser, again, a guy they identified early He's all over the map. I mean, not in terms of his commitment, in terms of 
teams that are interested. He's all over the place. Duke, North Carolina, Michigan State, all really interested, all trying to get him on campus. There are other programs. He's hearing from ACC. He's hearing from the Big Ten. He's hearing from the Big 12. He's blowing up. Even when you miss on a guy, this is part of something that I like to do when I evaluate programs. It's just as important to pay attention to the commitment sometimes as the guys they prioritize early and miss. When those kids blow up, it means you did a good job evaluating film. Yeah, you lost the recruiting battle, but it means you're doing a good job with evaluation. When you prioritize a guy early and you lose him and then his recruitment just falls off a cliff and he gets no new interest and nobody's after him and nobody wants to host him on visits and thank goodness he's off the board because nobody wants him, that's bad evaluation. That's bad process. And I keep seeing this even with the guys Oregon State's losing to other schools, and it's not a ton. It's not as many as it used to be. Those kids are constantly still being recruited and being offered and being pursued by other programs. Kate Hauser worked out at UCLA. Good process. Credit where credit's due. Jacob Strand on campus day one. That means you evaluated the tape and you knew this is a guy potentially we need to get a better eye on him. This is a guy potentially we could offer and he's a priority. Let's get him there the first day. And you offered him. Kaden Hauser, this is a quarterback we like. It's a pandemic. It's really hard to get him on campus, but we love him. Let's recruit the heck out of him and see what happens. Okay, we lost that battle, but Kaden Hauser blows up. And you okay, our process was good. Our evaluation was good. We reviewed the tape the right way. Those are great signs, and those are not things I was seeing before that I'm seeing now that are really encouraging. If you're an Oregon State fan, you got to be doing backflips because, again, process is so important. The wins will come if the process is good, and right now the process is good in Corvallis. I think this will end up being the best recruiting class Oregon State's gotten in my time covering recruiting, and I feel momentum changing. I really do. I'm hearing it in recruits' voices. I'm hearing it with the way visits are going. I'm hearing it with the process, the way that they're going about targeting guys. I'm hearing it from even when they lose a guy, even when they miss, that kid ends up blowing up and being a big-time recruit. It means they did a good job with the process. Oregon State also hosted Demarcus Houston, the number two player in the state of Oregon. Uh, talented kid out of West Albany. I like it. Six foot two corner. If you follow Oregon State football and if you're listening to this show, you definitely do. They love long corners. That's their thing. And they don't come from Oregon very often. So when a six foot two long corner comes out of your home state, yeah, you're probably going to prioritize that. So where was Demarcus Houston day one when recruiting opened up? He was at Oregon State. They also go ahead and offer six foot five, 200 pound wide receiver, Joey Olson. If you listened to this show a few weeks ago, I mentioned him because he's absolutely blowing up. He was a first team all-conference player in the Three Rivers League. The Three Rivers League, without a doubt, is the SEC of Oregon high school football. There are years where four of the top seven teams in the state of Oregon all come from the TRL. There are years where if you had to pick in a vacuum, if there were Vegas odds for who would win the state title, Jesuit and Central Catholic would be in there. And then there'd be three or four TRL teams. Those would be the teams most likely in Vegas odds to win a state title. It's a powerhouse conference. It's the absolute power conference of the state of Oregon. Joey Olson, as a freshman, a six foot five, 200 pound freshman, was first team all conference. Probably going to end up playing tight end, but he visits Oregon State day one, first day you're allowed to take visits, and Oregon State offers. Good offer. Smart offer. Get in on those guys early. They're not going to be the first offer. Louisville offered Joey Olson already in Arizona State. But I think there is a point at which, like, how soon is too soon? And if guys are going to jump in at at the beginning of a freshman season, maybe it is better, even if it's an in-state guy, that we're not first. That's one of those ones I'm okay with. If a guy blows up and is great and you wait and you wait and you wait and you wait, like Cole Turner a few years ago, who's now tearing it up in Nevada, and you wait and you wait and you wait and you lose that guy, That's not okay. It's not okay to get beat in the first offer when it's a guy who's obvious and you wait and wait, wait too long and alienate the kid. But I also think there's a limit. You can't offer every good eighth grader and say, well, we're going to be first with everybody. If Louisville and Arizona State want to offer guys fresh middle middle of freshman year for Oregon high school players, I think it's okay that Oregon State offers third or fourth or fifth because you got to do your due diligence. That's it. For the recruiting trail this week, We broke down a couple of weeks ago the visitors for Oregon State in football. Not a lot has changed. One of the things I mentioned 
was that Mark Naboo, who was a three-star offensive lineman out of Washington, was maybe worth the flyer. That Oregon State can schedule that visit. If it works out, great. If he ends up sticking with Washington, which is where he was highly likely to go, so be it. Sure enough, first day that things are open, Naboo commits to Washington. He is no longer taking his visit. The other player I'd like to mention, of course, is Hudson Cedarland, who I really like. Oregon State was his first offer. He's a Washington prospect. And I, I think I mentioned on the show, I don't understand what Washington and Washington State are doing asleep at the wheel because that kid on film, six foot three, 200 pounds, workaholic, big time hitter, big time athlete. Sure enough, Washington State has offered him now. I would say before that, he might have been coming to the Oregon State trip looking to commit to lock in a Pac-12 commitment. Now things are changed because he's got two. So he's going to visit, I would imagine, Washington State right after Oregon State. And if there's not a lot of buzz behind the scenes for him, if he's not hearing from a bunch of schools, he'll pick between the two. If there is a lot of buzz, he won't commit. But I think that Washington State offer was a, uh uh-oh, we have to save ourselves offer from the Cougs because I think it was very likely he was going to commit to Oregon State on his visit if that was his only offer. So smart defensive strategy here by Washington State, but you'd like to see them on the offensive uh, with the top prospects in their own state. For some reason, uh, that seems to be too much to ask right now from the Cougs, but a nice offer from Oregon State, and we will see how that all shakes out. Thank you for listening to the Recruiting Trail. We will be back next week breaking down a huge visit list for Oregon State. The June 11th visit list for Oregon State is massive. We will also recap how the visits went for both Oregon and Oregon State. And of course, we'll break down Oregon's visit list. I also wouldn't be shocked, not because I know anything currently, but I wouldn't be shocked if we have a major commitment come in the next week because kids who are visiting campuses early are highly interested in those schools. They've been waiting a, a year to take these visits. So if they plan in the very first weekend, they have to be at this school. I have to go to school X because it's finally open. I can finally check it out. That means they're highly interested. So it would not shock me at all if we saw a major commitment for Oregon or Oregon State here in the next week. So pay attention to recruiting. This is going to be as Bruce Feldman has written, as he said, college coaches are telling him behind the scenes, arguably the busiest month of college football recruiting in history, certainly the busiest June in college football recruiting history. Thank you for listening.